everybody, it's Kyla. Welcome to my channel where I talk about the stock market and the economy amongst other things. Today we're going to be talking about the thematics that shaped 2022. So if you've been alongside this channel for a while, it's been quite a journey talking about Russian war in Ukraine, talking about the energy crisis, the food crisis, about the housing crisis, the Federal Reserve, crypto, uh, SPF, everything that's sort of unfolded over the past year. If you've been with the channel for a while, I just want to say thank you for being here. It's been quite a year and it's been really fun for me personally going on Marketplace, going on Planet Money, speaking at MIT and doing all of these really amazing things, interviewing members of the Federal Reserve. So really grateful for you all for being here and if you have ideas for 2023 or more content that you would like to see, please, please let me know in the comments below. And if you're new, hello and welcome. So good to have you. We're going to be talking about thematics today. And so this is going to be a more concept focused piece with the reflection and core ideas that I think shaped 2022. I think there are some three quotes that are pretty emblematic of what this year brought us. There's a quote from Mark Twain, it is easier to fool a man than to convince him he has been fooled. From John Mills, panics do not destroy capital, they merely reveal the extent to which it has been previously destroyed by its betrayal into hopelessly unproductive works. And then Carl Sagan, one of the saddest lessons of history is this, if we've been bamboozled long enough, we tend to reject any evidence of the bamboozle. We're no longer interested in finding out the truth. The bamboozle has captured us. It's simply too painful to acknowledge, even to ourselves, that we've been taken. Once you give a charlatan power over you, you must never give back. This is really emblematic of the scam era. I think 2022 was the year of scams in more ways than we know. So let's talk about crypto. <laughs> this year, the crypto world came crumbling down to a certain extent in so many ways from the emperors absolutely losing their clothes from SPF to Three Hours Capital to Doquan to the Ponzi Triangle essentially inverting. Turns out you really can make a book token and assign value to it, but you probably should not do that. To the Moon became a whispered rallying cry rather than something that you saw almost every other tweet. Twitter is a whole other concept. I think the inherent problem with the Web3 spectacle was how far removed from reality it ended up being. So with apes, Vitalik said it best. I don't hate apes, but I want them to fund public goods. The problem, apes don't fund public goods. Those monkey JPEGs don't fund public goods. They are a status symbol, a display of wealth, which is fine. But in a world that is teetering towards real world resource scarcity, the lack of intrinsic value became really prevalent. The whole ethos of Web3 was haunted by the ghost of make money. Everything became centered on greed rather than participation. People didn't buy NFTs for the art, they bought it to make money. And that's really just a function of the Zerpy world that we've been in. Why not froth it up more? If the Fed isn't going to print dollars, we might as well do it for them in terms of algorithmic stablecoins, etc. The world economy was collapsing though, and people were buying up ape land. It just felt so odd. That was the inherent problem with the Web3 spectacle. It felt like almost a dream state. And it sort of was, like Web3 was full of bots. I think 50% of games were bot driven. It was an alternate dimension where things were happening, sure, but like not really, right? Land war ended up erupting in Europe, supply chains cracked in half, there were worries over food supply and energy resources, the Fed shook markets up from their stupor, and all of a sudden half-baked decentralized social Web3 metaverse game token world shattered, and Web4 became commodities, not game tokens that could be manipulated by bad actors. And I still wholeheartedly believe in crypto, to the extent that I think there's room to rethink our current systems, and it's important to actively challenge how things work. But progress does not come from punk profile pictures it comes from helping people access the world beyond what they currently can and crypto needs to return to that. But let's talk about commodities. So this was a wild year for oil. Turns out oil trickles down to everything. Energy is the common denominator into everything as we talked about before. So if oil goes up in price, so does our pain. Gas prices became a political signal heavily influencing how people felt about politicians and the economy. What's sort of funny about oil is the supply and production mechanics. We need more of it. We can't have green energy policy without green energy investment. Web4 really is commodity. <laughs> 
is it's the new fang fuel agriculture aerospace nuclear green energy and there's also foundations right we cannot have this consumer driven tech world that's built on the back of ads if we can't keep the lights on <laughs> and a lot of people realize that this year and we're sort of stupid like no offense to every other human out there but we concurrently together are very dumb. Anthony Lee Zhang said it best, as resources get cheaper, we find progressively dumber uses of them. We have so much stuff. <laughs> things are cheap, but it's expensive to repair, so we place a lot of value on buying things and we end up buying too many things. The world is very good at producing things, but things are not unlimited. Alternatives have to be in place, both in terms of energy production and how we grow the economy. So the Federal Reserve. Okay, it's all my favorite. Jerome Powell kind of summarized this best. No one expects that bringing about a soft landing will be straightforward. Very little is straightforward in the current context. Yes, very little is known, a lot is uncertain, and most things we just don't know what the heck is happening. So now the Fed is ripping rates and risk assets are tumbling together, because it turns out risk assets are tied together for collateral, things aren't worth what they used to be, and boy oh boy are things dominoes. The Fed will likely continue to raise rates because they have credibility to protect. They were behind the ball on raising rates and now they have to prove that they can keep on raising them. So Fed cred is number one always and forever. The most important thing that the Fed has is it's Fed credit, it's Fed credibility, and they cannot lose that. And they're Fed flexing right now. The Fed will push the economy to the point of potentially breaking just to prove that, like, you know, flexing on them. They got to, to a certain degree. If the markets let them, though. So we still have to answer to somebody at the end of the day. And the Fed ends up answering to the markets more often than not. But for now, the Fed is facing the verifiable metrics of inflation slowing, but the burden of ego against that. Improving that they do indeed have this under control is top of priority for venture capital. <laughs> I've written a lot about VC before and I've written about misaligned incentives, which I think is pretty much a driver of that industry. But the weird thing is that incentives are pretty misaligned over there. It's all about high multiples making money. And of course it's about making money because like, why do you have to make money? It's also like meant to be funding our future. So it's kind of an odd thing to parse through in your head. A lot of VC backed companies end up being copy paste hype cycle versions of things that have worked before. And it creates a really weird vortex because it's like what P matters here, PowerPoints are profitability. And oftentimes as Aaron Levy pointed out from Box, PowerPoints determine viable businesses, not profits. VC is an important undercurrent. Like it matters to the degree that 20% of the largest 300 US public firms would have not existed without the scale of the VC industry. So it is important. But as we've seen this year with SBF, Adam Newman and the fallout of others, the focus on the venture ecosystem sometimes ends up on being the venture funds and the founders that run the companies versus the actual companies themselves. Themselves, and that's not great. The incentives sort of make things gross. There's a really good thread from Shannon Valor here. The saddest thing for me about modern tech's long spiral into user manipulation and surveillance is how it has slowly killed off the joy that people like me used to feel about new tech. Every product Meta or Amazon announces makes the future seem bleaker and grayer. There's no longer anything being promised to us by tech companies that we actually need or ask for. Just more monitoring, more nudging, more draining of our data, our time, our joy. And I think there's a world where tech brings us joy again. I think that's possible. And of course, VC funds more than just tech, but I think that VCs and other funders of the universe have a big part in sort of determining what brings us joy to a certain degree, and hopefully the PowerPoints guide their hand kindly. How saying, mortgage rates went absolutely bananas this year, <laughs> private equity firms nose their way into mobile home parks, nursing homes, student housing, etc. in an attempt to find inflation hedges, because of course students who historically can afford many things, right, can definitely afford rent spikes. And this is sort of the collapse of the American dream in the housing market. Our housing world is really weird because it was the American dream. Leverage up, get a picket fence, and, and then you're good to go. But now it's very, very difficult to get a home. Buyers are frozen out because sellers aren't budging, mortgage rates have gone up, and home supplies and 
agreed. As Justin Jalbert said, housing is in a very deep recession. And there's this great paper from Edward Lehmer titled, Housing is the Business Cycle, a paper that analyzes how important housing is to the economy. Weakness in housing is a core part of recessions, and that's mostly because the world is driven by consumers, not businesses, as I've talked about a lot. Residential investment is important because people are important, and we're seeing huge red flags in the housing market right now, which could be huge red flags for the economy moving forward. And we often forget the importance of housing at times. We forget that the world is really made up of people and that capital appreciation really isn't the core part of everything. Like that's not supposed to be our, our main goal all the time. People are what matters always. And making sure that everyone has a place to live should be like super important to us. You know, if more people have a place to live then the economic wheels turn smoother, things turn better, we have less fear and worry threading throughout our everyday actions. And of course, someone out there is muttering, well, you can't expect everyone to have a place to live. Blah, 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 the world's not fair. Of course, it's not fair, but we can't imagine a world where it's marginally better than the one that we currently exist in. So the economy, I wrote a lot this year about the vibe session. Do we need a recession? Because a lot of people were like, I can't wait for the economy to craters so I can buy stuff on sale, which like, uh, okay. But also if the economy creators, we all have a very, very big problem on our hands. The semantics of a recession became confusing too, with it becoming synonymous for I don't like what is happening and the whole recession actually is in two cues and negative GDP growth became a big talking point. Everything stopped making sense. For markets, bonds and stocks moved together, which isn't supposed to happen. Market fundamentalism, where markets dictate policy as we saw in the UK, became really dominant. The structure of the economy, which in some aspects is very much built around millions of people going to the office five times a week, had to evolve and how we think about labor, tech and finance layoffs versus continued hiring, construction, etc., had to evolve too. Had to put value on different things. We have underinvested in core parts of the economy and we're paying the price for that now. It's all fine and dandy to build B2B SaaS, right? But the consequences of focusing perhaps, but the consequences of focusing a bit too heavily maybe on grocery delivery and eight pictures is a bill that is coming due, I think. And there's also a funny ironic side thread here when we talk about the economy. There's a question, did Apple just privacy us into a recession? So the Fed is rates, of course, but Apple's absolutely shredding up a lot of possibilities of innovation with their policies around their app store. They're wrecking the online ad industry and our markets, the big boys of the S&P, are kind of weirdly reliant on ad. Therefore, Apple. <laughs> and so the Fed might be ripping, but like, so is Tim Cook. <laughs> Human behavior. Okay, so this is the last part of this piece. It's going to be less focused on the economy and more focused on people. One thing that was really striking to me about 2022 is the constant anger that bubbled up underneath the surface. And as markets creator, it's very understandable that people get upset. Nothing was working the way that it was supposed to in this new non-zero interest rate world. We were still, de we're still dealing with the after effects of a pandemic, shipping constraints, and energy costs, and natural disasters like droughts, floods, and fires, and a war unfolded too. So doomerism kind of became the solve for a lot of people's anxiety. If you listen to people yelling about how bad the world is, it might make all this feel a little bit better. After all, the key to success is convincing people people that you have the key. If you overcomplicate simple things loudly, people will pay attention to you. Nothing is that complicated, nothing is that convoluted, but we often spiral into becoming too clever for our own good. When things don't make sense, we really, when we really don't understand what is going on, but we pretend that we do, we make systems that trap us further. As this one quote says, when education is not liberating, the dream of the oppressed is to become the oppressor. And that seems to be happening in microcosms all around us. I wrote about Tom Nichols' threat on American psychosis a few weeks ago, but this part is increasingly poignant and concerning. There is no bill you can pass, no social program that will solve the problem of a dentist or realtor who has decided that life is just too goddamn dull and that they're going to spice up their week by getting some tactical gear and cosplaying the second civil war. And of course, there have been many pieces written about the psychology 
Psychology of the United States that I'll link below, but it feels like life has become increasingly fragmented. There are elements of life which feel like we are being pushed towards elements of monoculture, streaming consolidation, less content or content not getting renewed, less room for experimentation. And the irony of all of this is that now is the moment that we should be leaning into creativity and expression, right? But the landscape is static in a sense, and it's odd because aesthetic is inherently a human inspiration. Beauty and not pretty things, but true striking human spirit is a virtue, but ra rather profit and growth have redefined how we interact with product. So pretty much, and this is a quote, pretty much everything that makes life better and the earth more livable is not profitable because what's most profitable is causing problems and then selling partial solutions. But all of this goes against our intuition, right? It makes us uncomfortable to watch the same startups launch some website with the same gradient color scheme, try and sell the same products, try to convince us that this meal square is the answer to all your problems. Ivan Illich wrote about this in Tools for Conviviality, where it's this idea that people need tools to work with them, not for them. We need to be able to make things. People need not only to obtain things, they need above all the freedom to make things among which they can live to give shape to them according to their own taste and to put them in use in caring for and about others. And we try to do this, right? Illich also talks about how we are degraded to the status of mere consumers as the power of machines increases around us. And there is a world where humans and machines grow together. AI can make humans smarter, for example, but we have lost so much in how our companies grow, which is ad-centric. And as your good ads have enabled a lot of growth in the proliferation of human ingenuity, consumer culture, though, wants us to constantly consume. And that requires being glued to our phones and our computers, which is inherently harmful to us. Even the news that we read is catastrophic and confusing and is not designed for humans. We're constantly getting riled up. The worst part of this is the things that we're getting riled up about are essentially figments of our imagination most of the time, like wokeness or a culture war. They're real, of course, but there's whipped cream on top of them, fluff and froth, to exacerbate each and every issue so we become reactive and angry and mad and we're not it doesn't have to be that way and this has created a very prevalent and deep sense of nihilism in gen z specifically because we're constantly marketed this idea of realness but in the throes of the simulacra and simulation we live in a world where there's more and more information and less and less meaning what every society looks for in continuing to produce and to overproduce is to restore the real that escapes it in the artist's way julia cameron talks about how many people end up in fields adjacent to the real genes just to feel close to what they truly want and of course we can't always get what we want the world does not exist to serve our every desire, but carrying that truth, recognizing where our passions are is really important. And I think that the more that we can return back to understanding what drives us, what drives not necessarily always just the individual, but what drives our community, what drives the world around us, understanding the world that we exist in is really important because we are not superior to the universe, but merely a fraction of it. All that being said, lots of stuff happened this year, and I think that we're becoming removed from the reality of those things happening. And it's important that we return to some aspect of it as best we can. So to prevent more extrapolations and blabbering, I'm going to stop. I'll have another piece out next week reflecting on the events that went down in 2022, but I think these thematics are important as well. Thank you so much for spending time with me, for being here with me, and for being on this journey. It means more to me than you could possibly know and I'm so endlessly grateful to you. I hope that you're doing well and if you're celebrating any holidays coming up I hope that you have a happy holiday. If you're not celebrating I hope that you are doing so well. Thank you so much. I'll talk to you all soon. Goodbye.